CEC Important Talks. This is a podcast series presented by the team at Global Education Connection, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing children who are affected by conflict or natural disaster with resources like educational materials and art supplies. As part of this podcast, we want to talk about important topics related to children, their human rights, and their education. Of course, neither of us is an expert on these topics. We speak only to our knowledge, personal experiences, perspectives, and opinions, but there are many credible online sources for further information. Today, we have myself, Catherine Slaughterbeck, and Carter Beck as your hosts. And today, we're going to be talking about the current standoff between uh, the Texas government and the federal government regarding the border with Mexico. Uh, but before we get into that, here's just a quick word about our business sponsorship program. Yes. So the work that we do at Global Education Connection is made possible because of the generous contributions of of you, our listeners, um, our individual supporters, business sponsors, as well as grants. So if you yourself have a business or you work for a business that you think might want to contribute to the work that we do, please go onto our website and reach out to us for a business sponsorship opportunity. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you all so much, and stick around to the end of the episode to learn about more ways that you can support the work here we do at GEC. So I think anyone who's kind of been paying attention to the news lately, or at least like me doom scrolling on social media, is at least a little bit familiar with currently what's going on between Texas and the federal government. Um, I think we all know that like Congress has been trying to work out Uh, an immigration deal that Biden can sign. It's taken months, but I think last I had heard that we were getting pretty close, um, that it should hopefully happen soon. Um, Whether or not you support that, what the actual contents of the immigration bill is a whole other thing separately, Um, especially during an election year, that's going to be a hot button issue. So I would actually expect to hear more about that soon if you haven't already. But what we're talking about is specifically in reference to Governor Abbott's actions with state police and local police at the border with Mexico. So under the U.S. Constitution and U.S. laws, states don't really have anything to do with immigration. That is something that is dealt with by the federal government itself that is outlined in the Constitution that the federal government has kind of sole authority over this. And that was reaffirmed not that long ago, and I think 2012 with Arizona v. United States, uh, that this is the job of the federal government to handle. Um, Obviously, migration and immigration has been a growing issue in the country. You know, we heard a lot about it under the Trump administration during the campaigns, uh, and that's not something that's gone away. It may have just kind of fallen out of the media since we're not in an election year, but it has still been a big thing, especially in southern states. So Governor Abbott has taken actions for Texas Texas itself to handle this issue in ways that are not necessarily legal under the Constitution. So that's been kind of a big topic surrounding this. But also, if you've heard, um, Texas had been putting barbed wire at the border, as well as um, buoys in the Uh, in the river to kind of keep migrants from being able to get into Texas. And the federal government had been cutting the barbed wire down. This went to the courts because Texas sued them and was like, hey, this is destruction of private property. You're not allowed to do that. And the federal government was like, actually, uh, we can't 
because we're the federal government, we are the ones responsible for handling migration, as well as um, it being a detriment to the work that they do. And the court sided in favor of Texas and said that the only way that the federal government would be allowed to cut this barbed wire was if there was an immediate medical emergency. Like if someone on the other side of the barbed wire was at risk of dying or in danger, then the federal government could cut the barbed wire to help save them. This obviously did not go over well with Texas, and Texas said, uh, yeah, no, we're not going to listen to that. Uh, the original court ruled in, ruled in favor of the federal government, and then Texas appealed, and then the appellate court ruled in favor of Texas, and then the Biden administration appealed that to the Supreme Court, and that's when the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the federal government. Yeah. It, so this is kind uh, of either, – either, either way, it, it, it went back and forth multiple times where yeah. it seems like – Judges at different levels of government aren't really sure how to to deal with this with this perceived crisis. Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of been this what's currently going on in that Texas has basically said, no, Supreme Court, no, we're doing this. Um, and a lot of Republicans, especially Republican governors um, or you know people on Fox News, have been saying or standing with Texas, I guess, in this instance to say, and that Republican governors have said, you know, we will send troops to help Texas defend their border, yada, yada, yada. So this is kind of a hot grow or a growing constitutional crisis, border crisis situation. Um, that's obviously sparked a lot of tension between, you know, federalism and what the power of the states is in instances like this, because Texas invoked Part of the Constitution in order they they invoked um, in, they they invoked the Article invasion One clause Section Ten Clause Three, which yep. basically says that no state can you know have like issue troops or ships of war in times of peace or um, like enter into an agreement or like something with another country or a foreign power um, unless it is being invaded or in an, in imminent danger. So their argument is obviously the migrant crisis is an invasion. Um, whether or not that will be kind of held up in the courts is another thing, because I think that's personal perception. Whether or not the courts would view it the same way as Texas does is a whole other thing. That's kind of where we're at right now. This kind of tense showdown between state power versus federal power. And we will have to see what the Biden administration chooses to do. And so looking at it from the perspective of Texas, um, I, th I think it's, it's important to look at both sides of, of, what, of what's going on. And so from, from Texas, they have a very much a vested interest in what's going on because they direct, they're directly on the border. And so according to migrationpolicy.org, uh, the U.S. southern border has witnessed a record of at least 6.3 million migrant encounters. Um, at and between ports of entry uh, since Biden took office in January of 21. Um, and, and so there has been a, a great increase in the number of, of migrants trying to get into the United States. Um, looking at some, some more illegal, um, illegal migrate immigration statistics from The Economist, it broke down in, in years the number of migrants crossing and from the graph, you can actually see a, a really dramatic spike in the number of illegal migrants right when Biden took office. And 
that can be attributed to a number of reasons. Um, many people were fearful with the Trump administration and their their policies, um, especially with, with deportations, ICE. Um, but there, that number went from about thirty thousand illegal migrants a year to well, well over well over two hundred thousand, um, just in in the span of a couple months. And so I can see where Texas might be getting a little bit nervous and saying that our infrastructure is it can't sustain this number of of migrants coming across, and we need to do something about it to to curb the number of migrants and and channel these migrants through ports of entry rather than um, illegal immigration going across like the Rio Grande, um, where it's potentially life life threatening because not everyone can swim. Not everyone, uh, a lot of people, like you said, Catherine, are, are tired, um, sick from trying to cross the border. And that puts people in a very dangerous position. Um, there have so already there are, there been are reports of, of oh, sorry, I was just going to say there have been reports of people who have drowned in the Rio Grande trying to get yeah, here. Absolutely. So it's not unrealistic. And, yeah, it, it, absolutely. And even before the, the barbed wire and the, bu and the, and the buoys, people will drown in the Rio Grande. Um, it's, there are some parts where the river is quite wide and it, it is, it is dangerous. So I can, I, and, and Texas has been doing a couple things, um, potentially controversial, depending on how you look at it and how they deal with the, the, their immigration crisis and what they call as an invasion. Um, we've seen in the news where they have been um, busing uh, up to 100,000 migrants to sanctuary cities across the United States. And their argument for this is to be able to spread spread the um, spread the the, the burden or I, I, I don't want to say it's a burden. I, I, I think yes, that's a good word for it. The responsibility onto other cities where whereby they might have more resources to be able to 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 deal with a a large influx of of migrants compared to just Texas on their own and and I think that's one of the the lines that Texas is using to justify um moving migrants to other areas of the country um so you look at like Philadelphia, Washington DC, New York City, Chicago and I I I read a report last week about migrants even being held at airports for temporary housing. I think one of them was Boston Logan Airport and the other was Chicago O'Hare. And so they're using terminals to be able to house migrants just temporarily, but that just shows that cities are not really set up to be able to to accept migrants. And I think that's that's something that really needs to be addressed is is there needs to be a better way to be able to bring people in and take care of them humanely. Yeah, because there's also what like the question of whether or not what Texas is doing busing migrants to other places like is that legal? Especially because mm -hmm. in a lot of instances there have been reports about like these migrants not knowing where they were going, uh not really being I think fully informed of what was happening. So a lot of people are like does that count as human trafficking? Like you're putting people on a bus and then sending them somewhere where they don't have the knowledge or like the, the ability to necessarily properly consent. Um, so that's also have there been like any a, legal. Have there been any legal cases um, about that from the federal government? Are they, are they, um, are they trying to charge Texas with uh, human trafficking in these instances? 
Not that I have heard, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if at some point they face a case for, case for it. And even if it doesn't come from the federal government, one of these cities that's getting migrants bus to it is going to. Like I know here in New York, like Mayor Adams has been making, like or was trying to make severe budget cuts to um, schools um, because, you know, they needed the funding to handle the migrant crisis. Uh, that did not go over well. Um, and he backed yeah, off on absolutely. that, but it was, but he was trying to cut the funding for, for public schools in order to deal with this. Um, so I, I, I imagine that if the federal government isn't in the process of doing that, or at least some, even if it's not human trafficking, some other type of legal case to address this, then one of these cities or states has to be, especially because I saw an article earlier about how with the buses being sent to Chicago, like a lot of the times they're the, they're not being dropped off in Chicago, but rather like uh, rural areas around Chicago or cities around Chicago. So they're not even making it into the city and they're being dropped off in more areas that do not have the resources or the infrastructure to care for them in the way that they need it. And if we look at the numbers too, um, it's it makes sense that cities aren't really prepared to be able to accept lots of migrants. And this is an unprecedented, unprecedented issue with the number of migrants that are coming in. Effectively, we've seen, we've seen about a 2 to 3% increase in the entire United States population just with illegal immigrants. That's not including normal births and deaths, but that's just illegal, um, illegal immigrant population coming into the United States. And, and so a 2 to 3% increase in the population is a very big jump. And so, I mean, I can understand where cities maybe weren't anticipating that and preparing for for maybe setting up some some subsidized housing or increasing their budgets in certain areas because those those things take time. Especially because in a lot of cases these cities don't even have the necessary infrastructure to handle the people already there. Like you look at the housing crisis in San Francisco or here in New York, it's it's a serious issue that's of course being that has that existed before the migrant crisis, um, but the migrant crisis obviously isn't helping. Uh, yeah, and obviously, absolutely. I don't want to disparage like migrants because obviously these people aren't coming here because where they came from is safe, and they just went. You know, the United States sat like they are coming here because where they are originally from it is they they face a danger or they know that they don't have the economic opportunities to prosper or thrive or they see the united states as what we have propped ourselves up to be like the the land of opportunity the land of the free um and obviously with this comes a, a difficult conversation about current the current immigration system because if, if you know anything about it you know that it is a nightmare it is a mess the wait times are astronomical actually getting into the united states even if you apply for refugee or or asylum it's it's very very difficult so in a lot of cases people who face these challenges back in their home countries might not see any other way to get here or any other way to get to safety because of danger they face at home. So obviously that's not, obviously not all of them are like that. Some may come here for nefarious reasons, but I don't think blanket labeling the entire group as coming here to, you know, the stereotypical deal drugs or steal jobs from hardworking Americans. Obviously that's not the whole picture. 
No, I, I agree with you. I think the majority of the reason why people come to the United States is, like you said, economic opportunity and, and possibly um, fear fear uh, for themselves and their families and where they were living previously. Uh, the same article that I referenced earlier from The Economist also said that there's been a, a, a very substantial increase in the number of people coming from India, Russia, China, um, Eurasia, other parts of, of South America as well that are coming across the um, the Mexico border in, into Texas. So that has been a, a very substantial increase that has not been observed before. Now, from there was a transition from the Biden from the Trump administration to the Biden administration in terms of policy. Trump enacted a a policy where it was a, a wait in Mexico asylum policy, whereby if someone was trying to go into a port of entry or they were um, they were apprehended and trying to cross the border illegally and they claimed asylum, they would actually have to wait in Mexico until their asylum case was accepted and then heard by a judge. Um, Biden, Biden got rid of this uh, executive order, and I, we can't ignore that policy change as potentially being a, a factor in the the number number of increases that we've seen with people crossing the border as well. Now we, it was also coming out of COVID where there were even stricter policies um, and inflation going on around the world that could have also led to poor economic um, opportunities in other countries. But there's lots of factors that could potentially be leading to this unprecedented spike in illegal immigration coming into the United States. But I, I don't think we should ignore that one policy change that I, I think played a significant part. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Biden has also, I, I know he didn't necessarily uphold that, but there have been other things that he's done with the border of, of holding migrants. And I think there were, there was something that had been invoked due to COVID. Um, oh gosh. <laughs> I can't remember the name of it, but... Well, so even looking at the charts, when COVID occurred, uh, basically countries just shut down their borders. And and there was a there was a drop in every single chart that, that was on this article from The Economist. And in every single chart, right when COVID hit, that there was basically... My, migration went down to, to the very, very low levels. Um, but yeah. the current... The current um, policy with the United States is is when people come across the border and they claim asylum, which they're they're allowed to do. They're allowed to claim asylum. And oftentimes they get processed. And um if there's some sort of like like criminal criminal background, they will oftentimes be be sent be sent back. Um but if there isn't and they they're and the Border Patrol thinks that there is a viable case for asylum, they will oftentimes be given um like a date to appear in in court and al jazeera pointed this out in in one of their articles and oftentimes from what al jazeera said oftentimes people do not actually appear for those court dates possibly for fear of being sent back to, to their country of origin and their asylum case being rejected so in this case we have people that are are fearful and don't trust the the legal system and that's maybe one of the reasons why we're seeing an increase as well yeah, and you know, there just there aren't enough immigration judges to handle the number of cases we have. Like I said, these cases are backed up for years. Um and in, in a lot of these cases they don't the, the the immigrants going before a judge don't have 
the necessary legal counsel um, to actually maybe get their point across in the way they want it because in a lot of these cases they may not speak English or English may be a second language or there have even been reports of children having to go before a judge alone like small children not teenagers I mean like toddlers so this isn't just a I think a, a border crisis thing but this is a whole the, the system that we have built to handle immigration is outdated and cannot handle the, the modern realities of how large the global population is and how large the quantity of migrants that want to come to the United States is or the ones that are coming to the United States. So we need to we need serious immigration reform. But the problem is, is that the polarization between Democrats and Republicans in Congress makes that extremely hard to actually accomplish. Even now, like the like I mentioned earlier, the the immigration bill that they've been trying to pass. I don't know if it actually will because now Democrats are speaking out against it. Uh, obviously, I'm sure the Freedom Caucus will find something wrong with it. So getting getting stuff like this passed is extremely difficult. Absolutely. And I also want to say that even with like the migration crisis, the amount of quote-unquote illegal immigrants a majority of them aren't people illegally crossing the border. They're people who have come here on a green card and then overstay. So it's not like the stereotypical you imagining someone hiking across the border in the middle of the night to come in and steal good American jobs. It's people who came here legally and then overstayed how long they were legally allowed to. Yeah. You, you I also mentioned will say something. that... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Catherine. No, I was just going to... In a, in a lot of the cases where we make like where people make the statements, oh, they're coming to steal hardworking American jobs, they're working the jobs that Americans don't want. Like a lot of our agricultural sector, where you're being paid pennies on the hour, is done by migrant workers or harsh labor jobs that most Americans don't want. So in reality, a lot of our economy is actually propped up by the work of these people, even if we don't necessarily like to see it that way yeah uh you you brought up an interesting point with the number of judges and um in right at the end of obama's presidency we had about 300 immigration judges in the united states um trump that went to 350 400 450 500 and that number has been increasing and right now we're at 659 immigration judges and the same article I've been referencing from The Economist, it also says that if America's 659 immigration judges ruled on four cases every day, it would still take them more than four years to clear the current docket. So that means if there were no more asylum cases, it would still it would still take four years for them to, to clear the number of cases. That's that's not a system that's gonna work. Yeah. And I know, like I've been referencing this immigration package that's before Congress, but that is part of it, increasing the number of immigration judges. It's again, I just think due to the other things that are in the bill, it's going to face a lot of pushback. But if you were in Congress, if you were the president, President President Catherine, what would you do? I don't know. We've we've talked about this kind of off of the show how hard of a topic this is because mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who feel very very strongly one way about this so no matter what you're not going to be able to please everyone 
while of course I think invigorating the current system, giving more judges, creating more positions for immigration lawyers to come in, um, boosting infrastructure to help address the migrant crisis. I don't know because I, I don't know necessarily because of the pushback that prop like the problems with the bill itself. There have been things about like the, the increasing the number of. Uh, people patrolling the border and stuff like that and fear that it would, you know, so distrust with Hispanic um, communities or migrant communities that could create even more problems between them and law enforcement. So I think that would also have to be a serious thing you consider. So I don't know if it's just an easy, I would absolutely do this or absolutely do that. I think there's a lot of nuance to it that I'm not entirely sure I can articulate. One area of opportunity that I see is potentially utilizing USAID um, and and USAID as as in like grants coming from the State Department to NGOs in other countries to potentially be able to help set up a better way for people to to come to the United States rather than trying to make a a very dangerous, um, a a very dangerous, life-threatening trek um, from their country of origin into the United States. That's something that I think I think would definitely work is is being able to provide grants to NGOs in in other countries, especially countries where we know people are, are are migrating from, to be able to help set people up for coming to the United States. And that way they don't feel like out of desperation that they they need to, to do this or, or or their life is in danger. And instead maybe they can be supported along the way. Yeah, obviously the problem doesn't just lie with the United States, but also addressing the issues in the countries where people are migrating from to make them not want to migrate. Um, Invigorating the global economy, especially in the global south, is an important component of that. But also, obviously, the the reason why I I don't want to say the reason why I didn't mention the reason why I didn't mention uh, that would be would be trying to in- inject money into um, like foreign foreign economies to be able to to help out the local economy. I, I think would would be a lot more cost costly than providing grants to to NGOs who's who solely want to be able to to help people in this aspect. Um, just looking at the different potential cost comparisons between between the, those two options. Um, and I'll, also, I, I don't want to get into the the argument of of the U.S. trying to um, trying to to uh, oh, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? But trying to influence other economies and potentially yeah. change some 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 policies. I think that just set, sets up a very negative perception of of the United States, and I don't didn't, don't think that would go over too well. Yeah, no, 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 I don't mean just the United States, but also utilizing tools like the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, or, um, oh gosh, there is, I, if I remember correctly, a, um, a monetary organization out of Asia, I think, that focuses specifically on developing countries um, that can help Is it Green Bank? Monet- no, it's, it's specifically um, the Asian Development Bank, duh. Um, it, while that's focused primarily focused on Asia and the Pacific, um, there are a lot of 
international banks focused on developing countries and assisting them in building up their economy, building up their infrastructure. So this isn't just a, the United States should swoop in and invoke Western imperialism um, on developing countries to, to stop migrants from coming to the U.S. I'm saying that the tools that exist should be utilized more efficiently to help these countries build up their economies or address the root problems of issues that are causing, uh, you know, the gang violence or the issues with militias or whatever is causing the safety concerns that people are fleeing to the United States. Um, Absolutely. I think that kind of takes us. Go ahead. Well, all of that speaks to, this is very complex. It's not just um, a, a, fight over the legal definition of an invasion um, from Texas's point of view. This isn't just about the Supreme Court. This is a really, it's a, it's a global issue whereby countries that aren't, aren't doing so well, um, it causes people to unfortunately decide that they have to leave their home. And then trying to come to other countries that might not have the immigration policies set up to effectively help them. And and so, like you said, Catherine, there is no like one decision that can be made, but it, it actually has to be a number of decisions that have to be made, and a lot of people really need to work together to make this make this a reality. Yeah. So, Governor Abbott picking a fight with the federal government and twenty five Republican governors signing a letter essentially egging him on and supporting him is not the kind of thing we need right now. We need open dialogue between states and federal governments with local governments as well, especially communities on the border or close to the border that are most affected by these issues to figure out a way to actually resolve it in a way that will benefit everyone and not just, you know, make Governor Abbott look strong before the election in November. Yeah, and, and that's something that you and I talked about before the show is is there is an election coming up, and um, we're seeing some increasing. There's the increase in volume in people people voicing their opinions about the the border wall, about voicing their opinions about my um, uh, migration, and immigration is going to be one of the the key topics going into this next election, which is less than a year away. And we're not going to hear less about this. We're only going to hear more about it. Yeah, we're already in February, guys. So it's just as each state goes into their primary election, as campaigns are, you know, knocking down your door to get your vote for them this November, um, just realize that there's a reason that they're only speaking about these issues now instead of talking about it last year. or why you know the government right now is meeting with social media companies to be like why aren't you addressing this they're doing it now because it's an election year because they want you to see that they're doing their jobs because they want you to see them as being the strong leaders that you have elected them to be so this is governor abbott essentially showboating to hopefully win re-election in november and this is just republican governors Getting behind him and saying I wouldn't, we support I this, so they that. also look strong. I, Governor Abbott has been pretty vocal over the last couple of years with the uh, the spike in in immigration coming into Texas, and 
like for example with with the um immigrants being being sent to other cities around the around the country um that's been going on for a couple of years um but I don't think we should say that it's just been this last year because we're ramping up for an election, but he's actually been dealing like he's been trying to to voice his frustration about this for a couple of years now and um but like you said people are starting to pay attention more and a lot of our elected officials are talking about it more because it is an election year. But I think they just haven't been, they haven't been listening to Abbott. Yeah, this isn't a uniquely now issue. I'm just saying he's, I feel like he's picking the fight now because it's an election year. And also, I don't think he's picking the fight now. I just think everyone, I think everyone's just giving him attention now. No, he signed. He uh, this also goes to, back to the fact that a month ago he signed a law that allows Texas law enforcement officials to arrest migrants who enter the state from Mexico without legal authorization. They're not allowed to do that under federal law. That is something handled by Border Patrol or ICE. The only time that like state or local law enforcement are allowed to arrest migrants is if they have crossed onto private property illegally. But in most cases, they're coming through like at the border on public property or stuff like that. So it has it hasn't had the effect that like you'd imagine it would. But by him signing this law, he's giving them the right to essentially act as border agents stepping on the federal government's toes. That's that's another part of the reason why I'm saying he is doing this now. Republicans in Texas are doing this now because they want to seem strong before an election, because they want to see that they're taking on the wave of migrants that are causing inflation and ruining the economy and taking jobs from hardworking Americans and bringing drugs to your cities. You know, it's it's a tactic that they use to get your to get the votes of people who just who look at the problems that America is facing and need a scapegoat. And unfortunately, migrants in a lot of cases are easy ones. I th- all of this just makes me think that the our, our elected officials are really just using this 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 spike in um, immigration just for 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 really their own their own benefit. They're using it as a talking point. They're using it to garner support. And after the election, we're probably going to hear a lot less about immigration. And and so that that that, that frustrates me that they're they're yeah. using this this topic just for their own political gain. It's 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 bipartisan. Both Republicans and Democrats are going to be very vocal about this up until the election, and then we will we will see less less talking about it, and they're going to find something else to to um get them some views on social media. The outrage Olympics. Yes, yes, exactly. That's what but, Jeff Jackson calls it. So I mean, I, I, I can see I can see where it is Rage Olympics. Um everyone wants to 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 get the clip. And a lot of it is a lot of it is about emotion too. And that's where immigration is very is, is an emotional topic because it deals with people, yeah. it deals with families, it deals with um it deals with the idea of the American dream. It's, it's an emotional topic just on, on the same lines as like abortion um, on, on the same lines of, Oh geez, there's, there's, there's a lot that, that is an emotional topic, but immigration is one of those top issues that really ramps up come election year because politicians know that it it's, it gets people fired up. Yeah. All of this is to say that I think people should continue to have conversations, not just to 
listen to maybe what what people are saying on television, but to to go around and be able to to raise awareness raise awareness about our immigration system in the United States, what's going on around the world, and just to be able to to talk to people and don't don't share everything that you that you find on social media that that you think is is very controversial that you think is going to get some views but just continue to have this conversation and other conversations especially leading up into this election yeah absolutely so i think we will wrap it up there for today um thank you all so much for listening um before i get into my little actor spiel he's just um a precursor to that my spiel about how you can give us your money um (laughs) so eloquent I know, well, I know. So, and at Global Education Connection, we, as part of our, our charitable programs, we help kids all around the world that are refugees, that are migrants, that are coming from areas that have been affected by war or natural disasters. And our mission is to be able to help them with their education and their development. One of the ways that we've been able to do that is we published our own coloring book. It's a very cost-effective way for us to be able to send this to kids around the world. And it's also available to purchase on Amazon. It's one of the ways that you, our listeners, can support the work that we do. It's got 30 animals and facts about these animals. It's a great book for kids to be able to draw. Plus, we've also got two more books uh, coming to Amazon shortly. So that's one of the ways that you, our listeners, can support the work that we do. And we greatly appreciate it because all, all that does is it goes back to kids. Yeah, you can also support us by checking out our Patreon, which I link in the description below. The coloring book is also linked in the description below, as well as our website, uh, which you can go to to check out um, our merch shop. We have a lot of really great products there, as well as our Think Tank publications um, and updates on the work we do all around the world, as well as our um, monthly monthly newsletters. newsletter. And we're gonna we're gonna continue to do that. We had our first new le- newsletter in January. And um, we're going to continue to do that. So that way, everyone will be able to stay up to date with the work that we've been doing and our plans coming up. Yeah. So thank you all so much for listening. This has been GEC Important Talks, hosted by the team at Global Education Connection. You can find us at our website, www.globaleducationconnection.org, to learn more about who we are, what we do, and how else you can best support us. You can also follow us on all social media to follow along and stay up to date with the work that we're doing and engage with our posts. Uh, So yeah, thank you all so much for listening, and we hope to have you back next week. Bye.